Hi, everybody. Over the years, I've had people tell me, I just can't get through to God. I can't get through. I pray, and my prayers don't seem to get anywhere. And I want to know God's will, but I just don't seem to be able to figure it out. You're not alone. Uh, the Christian life has been tried, but not found wanting. It's been tried and found difficult and left undone. If it were easy, anybody and everybody would be doing it. But God does want to get through to us. God wants to converse with us. And that's why Jesus came into the world. Jesus is called the Word of God made flesh. And so God, throughout the Old Testament, the prophets would say, Thus saith the Lord, the word of the Lord is. And so the people hungered for the word of the Lord. And today we hunger for the word. We have Jesus and we have the record of God's mighty works. If somebody asked me, what is the Bible? What is that book? I would say it is a book of hope for imperfect people. People who need redemption people who need forgiveness, people who are looking for a new way of life. It is a book of truth. It's a book that doesn't pull any punches. It tells us who God is, who we are, and how we can know him and relate to him. And so I just want to encourage you today. Uh, we're getting ready to go into a series in the book of James that is a tremendous study full of practical truth on Christian living. And so God can really speak to us through his word at any place. Today we're going to look at Psalm 1, which is about meditating on God's word. It's a psalm of meditation about meditation. God is interested in who you are and how you think and feel, and he wants to fill your life with lasting love, joy, and peace as you face all the troubles and trials and frustrations of life. He wants to become the rock of your salvation that you build your life on. And so the way that this happens to us over a period of time is that we get acquainted with him and his character and his teachings through his word. The word Jesus made flesh and his written word. So today is going to kind of be a practical study of how do we converse with God? How do we meditate with God? So find in your scripture Psalm 1 right now, and we're going to read through that. Take a look at it, interpret it, and apply it to our lives learn about meditation. Now, I want you to relax. Nobody here has got it all together, all right? Uh, all of us have got a long way to go, and I'm not teaching you this because I've got it all figured out. God's ways are greater than our ways, and his thoughts higher than our thoughts, 
and we remain his children. And so we look to him as children seeking instruction. So here's Psalm 1. Oh, the joys of those who do not follow the advice of the wicked or stand around with sinners or join in with mockers. Let me stop for a second. The advice of the wicked. Wicked means simply somebody who knows the good, the right, the true, but they intentionally do whatever they wish, whether it's in line with this or not, because their life is simply centered on self. Wickedness is just simply having no regard for God's truth. Or stand around with sinners. The word sinner is just about rebellion. You know, who's going to tell me what to do? I'm going to do what I want to do. Mockers, those are people that simply make fun of those who think God is real and God's truth is important. So, oh, the joys of those who do not follow the advice of the wicked, stand around with sinners, or join in with mockers, but they delight in the law of the Lord, in the word of the Lord, meditating on it day and night. In other words, they just don't think about it for a moment, but it sinks in. It becomes a part of who they are. They are like trees planted along a riverbank, bearing fruit each season. Their leaves never, never wither. They prosper in all they do, but not the wicked. They're like worthless chaff scattered by the wind. They'll be condemned at the time of judgment. Sinners will have no place among the godly. For the Lord watches over the path of the godly, but the path of the wicked leads to destruction. So as I look at this psalm, the first thing it seems to be saying is, I need to set my standards high. I don't need to follow the ways of this world and draw my values and standards from the world, but I need to find out what God has to say, what he has proclaimed about himself through his word, and base my life on that. And that is going to give me joy and delight. What a promise. Oh, the joys of those who don't follow the advice of the wicked, stand around with sinners, or join in with mockers. Uh, there's a progression here. If we look at the New American Standard, they translate the verse this way. Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers. So we see a progression to mess up your life. First, walk and listen to the wrong people. Then, stand and pay more attention to them. And finally, sit down in agreement with them. Now, I'm going to tell you something about myself I'm not proud of. And that usually gets everybody's attention. <laughs> when I was a kid, let's say I'm 9, 10, 11 years old. I don't remember exactly. But the neighborhood boys would get together, and there was a sandlot near our house, and we played football and softball and anything else we could think of in that sandlot. And so I'm the littlest kid. I'm the last one to be chosen to play on any team. And you know what my idea was? I'm better than any of these guys. 
I don't care how little I am. I'm going to show them what I can do. I wanted to be a big shot. And so I would follow these guys around, okay? And so first I would walk with them, and then I would stand by them if they didn't tell me to get out of there. And then finally I'd sit on the ground with them, and they would accept me into their group. And so I started to learn things from those older boys that I'd never learned at home, that's for sure. And they had a vocabulary that was different from any vocabulary I had learned. And some of the words I recognized were probably not appropriate or good. Some were crude, some were profane. And so I started picking this up. And so I wanted to be a part of them. So I'm sitting around and we're talking. And so I don't know it, but my sister, older sister, is out walking the dog. And she walks by where I can't see her just as I'm showing off. And she hears what I have to say. So she goes home and happens to mention it to my mother. When I get home, my mother is waiting for me, and she sits me down, and I know something's wrong. And she says, young man, there's a heap of trouble out there, and you're not going to get into it. And words like that, you've never heard around here, and they're not to come out of your mouth. Wow. Wow. You know, I thought she was omniscient and omnipresent. <laughs> How did she know what was going on? Years later, I learned a verse. Psalm 1914. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable or pleasing in your sight my rock, and my redeemer. Wow. The word of God comes alive in our lives. And so that's what this is about. That we come to a place where we spend time in God's word meditating. Now, what does our culture glamorize? How, how are we influenced by our culture? What does our culture continually say to us every day? How are we lured into the ways of the world? Well, I think we're bombarded with stuff about simply self, self-enhancement. Uh, we, we hear a great deal about outward beauty. Uh, one night, I couldn't go to sleep. And there was an infomercial, and it was promising you could get rid of every wrinkle that would ever appear on your face. And they would send it to you free. But then next month, they'd keep sending it to you, and you'd have to pay for it. You know, self-enhancement, outward beauty, pleasure, how how to experience pleasure right now. 
possession, something you need to own that's going to enhance your life and make you feel better about yourself. Or simply about power. And, and there's a lot out there today about rights, about having the right to choose, to do what you please, whatever it is, without regard to a really a higher truth, without regard for what God might say. Riches, rights. Today, crude and profane talk has become common. 1939, a movie was made called Gone with the Wind. And in that movie, Clark Gable said one profane word. And people sitting there went, oh. took a breath. You want to know what it is? Go watch Gone with the Wind. <laughs> Great movie. They've redone it. Well, anyway, if I want high standards and lasting joy, I'm going to have to find it in God's Word. I'm not going to find it listening to talk shows. <laughs> I'm not going to find it from popular thinking today. More has been done to change the standards of God's Word in our country in the last 10 years than in the 100 years before that. Things that are accepted today People would question, and it's simply going to escalate. And so if we're going to be really a people of God, and we're never called to judge or condemn other people, we're called to love people, even love our enemies. We're to spread light. You know, darkness is the absence of light. Evil is the absence of goodness. And so God wants to do this work in our life. And how's that going to happen? Well, number two in your outline, focus. Meditate on God's Word. Oh, the joys of those who don't follow the advice of the wicked, stand around with sinners or join in with mockers, but they delight in the law of the Lord, the Word of the Lord, meditating on it day and night. Meditating. Now, that word can be a little frightening. It doesn't mean you sit on the ground in a lotus position and try to empty your mind. That's not what this means. This means focused thinking, desiring that what the Bible is teaching you sinks in and it touches your emotions, your mind, your will. It begins to challenge you in a very, very powerful way. Don't let this word scare you. It's simply about focusing on God and letting him get through to you. Meditating on God's word is not designed to make you act religious. It's designed to make you real. Meditating on God's word is going to bring out reality in your life, not some kind of outward religious behavior that turns into self-righteousness. That's not what it's about. The Bible wasn't written to increase our knowledge. It was written to change our lives. And so this is what can happen. I love this verse of Scripture, 2 Timothy 3.16. All Scripture is inspired by God. God breathed. It's profitable for teaching, teaching about God's character, for reproof, telling me, wait a minute. This is wrong. Correction, 
how to correct, how to get back on the right path, and for training and right living. The Bible can accomplish that in my life. It can equip me. It can give me a whole new way of thinking and feeling and acting. And so meditation is simply a conversation with God where we actually get to hear from God. And when this happens, we can become unstuck from the hurts of the past and things that are controlling our lives that don't need to. One of the resources here at Brook, Brookwood is the Transformation Prayer Ministry that helps in this whole process we're talking about today. What does meditation on God's Word include? Okay, the result should be direction and peace. Here's what I think some of what meditation includes. It includes interpretation of Scripture, which means getting the meaning right, understanding what the author meant when he wrote it. So we don't twist Scripture and use it for our own purposes. So we have to work on this. Then what we understand becomes a part of who we are. Now, you may need some help in this. And I found that study Bibles can be a great help. A study Bible is a Bible just like this, but it's got notes. It's got things that solid evangelical scholars have written that introduce a book. And then if there's a word that needs clarification, it's got notes about those words. And so a study Bible can really help you. And there is a new New Living Translation Study Bible. We have some in our bookstores. They're available online. Over the years, I've used the NIV Study Bible. But a study Bible helps you in interpretation of the Word of God. You've got to get to the meaning. Now, don't get stuck. If you get in a verse and you can't figure it out, don't give up. Don't throw in the towel. Just keep going. Keep going. There are many difficult areas in the Bible. And so don't get stuck. Keep going. The second thing we need, besides interpretation, is illumination. I like that word. Illumination. And this is the work of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's involved in interpretation, but especially in illumination, because that simply means the words come to life. The words come to life. Psalm 19, 7 and 8 says, the instructions of the Lord are perfect, reviving the soul. So the instructions come to life when they Refresh and revive your soul. The, the decrees of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. You know, simple is a nice word of saying, well, anyway. All right. The commandments of the Lord are right, bringing joy to the heart. God doesn't give us commands because he likes to make rules. His commands are life. It's what makes life really work. It makes no sense to lie. If you lie, you have to have a long memory. 
truth works. And so God's commands are life. They bring joy to the heart. Hebrews 4.12 says, The word of God is alive and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. It divides between soul and spirit, between joint and marrow. That just simply means God's word penetrates the deepest parts of who we are. It exposes our innermost thoughts and feelings and motives, our desires. And so the word of God messes with you in all the right ways. It's like suddenly the window of your soul opens up and light shines in. Right, you know, when did this first happen to me? God's word first started getting through to me when I heard preaching. God anointed preaching of God's word. I would sit and listen and think God was talking directly to me through that man. And then I got into the Word of God, the Bible. I remember about being in my senior year of high school in my room, sitting at my desk, and I was reading the Sermon on the Mount, and my heart was strangely warmed. Now, that's a term that's used about John Wesley, who could not get assurance of his salvation. And he was at a prayer meeting, and they were reading Martin Luther's exposition of the book of Romans. They were reading the preface where Martin Luther was talking about salvation is by faith through grace. You can't work for it, deserve it, or earn it. It's a work of God's grace. And the Holy Spirit simply grabbed hold of John Wesley, who's the founder of Methodism and preached across America, and God worked in mighty ways. But he had a warming of his heart. I'm not saying you have to have this kind of emotional experience every time you meditate on God's Word, but God will start breaking through. We're made in different ways, and we're going to feel different things. The Word of God is alive and powerful and sharper than a double-edged sword. The Word of God exposes our pride and false thinking. The Word of God schools us. You know, I remember a time I was really full of myself. I had taken on racquetball. Racquetball is a game played in a room, and you use all the walls and the ceiling and you hit a ball, and it's hard, and it's rubber. That little short tennis racket-like thing. And you serve it, and then it can only hit the floor once, and your opponent's got to return it. And so I played a guy named Ken, and Ken was an athlete. He'd been a running back at Georgia Tech. had played a little bit of pro ball, but he had hurt his knee. So that made him a good opponent for me. <laughs> And we played two or three times a week, and we went after it. There was no mercy. It was all out. We'd finish, and we both could barely move. A lot of exercise. So one day, I'm waiting for Ken. He isn't showing up, and I'm in there, and I'm, I'm just practicing serving, hitting the ball around. 
And Ken doesn't show. And I look at my watch and say, okay, he's not coming. And a man stuck his head in the door of the room and said, hey, want a game? And I looked at him and I thought, oh, okay, why not? And he came in and I looked at him and he's an old man. An old man. I mean, I looked at him and I thought, I'm going to have to take it easy on this guy. He's in his 70s. His legs look frail. He looks weak. And so we played and I didn't score a point. I mean, he embarrassed me. And I was thinking I was about a grade C player. That day I was an F. So when I cleaned up and left, I saw the director of the Y, and I said, hey, who's that old man down there in the racquetball court? And he just started laughing. And he said, Earl got you, didn't he? And I said, Earl? He said, yeah. 35 years ago, Earl was the state champion. The word of God is the champion of truth. And the Word of God is going to school us. And we're going to learn. And it will never, ever stop schooling us. But it's good. It's good to be humbled before God. It's good to absorb His truth. Illumination is the work of the Holy Spirit. Look at 1 Corinthians 2, verses 9 through 16. I'm not giving you time to look it up. I got too much, all right? What no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, what no human mind has conceived or imagined, the things God has prepared for those who love him, these are the things God has revealed to us by his Spirit. What we have received is not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, so that we may understand what God has freely given us. A person without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God, but considers them foolishness. Who has known the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. I find that last phrase amazing. This means as we meditate on the Word of God and we live out our lives and we deal with people, and we deal with ourselves and circumstances of all kinds, it's possible for us to think a thought that Jesus Christ himself actually would think. Wow. You mean the Holy Spirit can do that? That he can so illuminate us that as we live our lives, we can have Christ-like thoughts and feelings about ourselves and other people? Think of it. The mind of Christ. Could there be an experience of greater meaning and greater purpose than to have that experience and then carry out what it means in our relationships to one another and to people that do not know the Lord? Finally, besides illumination and meditation, there's application. That's taking action. 
Jesus said, anybody that listens to my teaching and does what it means, does what it says, is wise. And he's like a person who builds his house on solid rock. And the floods are going to come, the winds are going to blow, but that house is not going to fall down because it's built on solid rock. The Word of God is solid rock we build our lives on. And that's when we follow it, not when we know it, not when we feel it. Meditation on God's Word is not about us feeling close to God. That's a part of it. But it must end in action, in doing, in putting it to life, in putting it to work. The results of meditation, the, the Psalm 1 goes on to say, those that meditate on God's Word are compared to trees planted along the riverbank, bearing fruit each season. Their leaves never, never wither, and they prosper in all they do. So that's a picture of strength, a tree that's, that's got a river, and it's strong. It's not going to wither. It's going to produce fruit. It's strong. It's going to be there in hard, dry times, in times of great difficulty, in great adversity, in great upheaval. It's not going to fall over. It's strong. So meditation in God's Word will give us strength. When you run into something that's really troubling you, a verse of Scripture will come to your mind, and you will be able to use it and apply it. Strength. Also, this is a picture of significance, bearing fruit each season. You know, when you meditate, you become a fruitful believer. Jesus said in John 15, I am the vine, you are the branches. Those who abide in me or remain in me, and I in them will produce much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. And so meditating on God's Word, the Word of God becomes a part of us, and we no longer live our lives like skimming through a magazine, living by whim, doing whatever we please. No, our lives become transformed because we're bearing fruit. What kind of fruit should we look for? Okay. What should you look for? Well, Galatians 5.22. The Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Sounds pretty good, doesn't it? Look at those with me again. Love, joy, and peace. Those are inward. That deals with my emotions, my sense of well-being. Faithful love. Joy, not based on circumstances. And peace. That peace with God, peace with myself, peace with others. But look at the rest of them. Patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness. Those are expressions of relationships. How I relate to others. So this is what we should look for in our lives to look for fruitfulness. When you become fruitful as a believer, 
you will become slow to become angry. You will learn to forgive and move on. You'll learn generosity and to be satisfied with little things. And you'll learn to really care about others and their well-being as much as you care about yourself. It's worth it, folks. And then the other result is that of satisfaction. It's a joy. Joyful are those that don't listen to the ungodly, but they meditate on God's Word. Psalm 1 concludes with a contrast, and it can be a bit frightening, and it should be. It goes on to say, not so the, the wicked. They're not fruitful. They're like work, worthless chaff, a husk that's thrown away, scattered by the wind. They'll be condemned at the time of judgment. Sinners will have no place among the godly. For the Lord watches over the path of the godly, but the path of the wicked leads to destruction. You know, the Bible doesn't mess with us. It says we are accountable to God who created us. And he's going to take a look at our lives. Now, we know in Christ we are taught that a right relationship with God is by faith and God's undeserved favor which he pours out through Christ. And the only godliness we have is a gift from God. But it's life transforming. And so we become sinners who are forgiven. And so Christ has faced judgment for us. We have to look realistically at the world and what people are facing. And we desire that they be set free. When I see this verse that says the path of the wicked leads to destruction, I also think of Ezekiel thirty-three eleven, which says, As surely as I live, says the sovereign Lord, I take no pleasure in the death of wicked people. I only want them to turn from their wicked ways so they can live. Why should you die? You know, I know some of you are here today, and you're very unhappy with yourself and your life and your condition, and you feel estranged from God and far away from Him, and perhaps rather hopeless, but you came today. There is no reason for you to leave here without hope. God is a God of redemption. God is a holy God who by his compassion in Christ offers forgiveness. To walk into an eternity without God, you have to walk around Jesus Christ because he's standing there inviting you and saying, I have a gift for you. I've come that you might have life and have it abundantly. And you don't have to live the way you've been living. You can turn from it and turn to me. So we're going to pause for a word of prayer. We have helpers that come to the front at the end of our services that you can come up and ask for prayer.
You can come up and say, I need to know God. And they'll be here when I finish praying. Let's pray right now. Lord, I just thank you that you take no pleasure in the death of the wicked and that you offer salvation through Jesus Christ by faith. And I pray for each person here today that's struggling, that's troubled, that they would know that you love them and that's why you sent your son into the world and that no one is so far away from God that the love of God will not reach that far and draw them back. So I pray you would work today in the heart of every person here, especially those who feel lost and alone, and you would bless them and draw them to yourself. And I say this prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Before you leave, at the bottom of your outline, there are topics for meditation and verses of scriptures that are recommended if you don't know where to look. And also some resources, some online resources and other. Thank you for being here today. I enjoyed talking to you. God bless you.